Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenich Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenich Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Welcome to Be Intentional, Therefore Purposeful. Today I'm going to share another one of my stories with you. I love the stories the Creator speaks to me because they're always His way of guiding me and directing me and helping me to learn wisdom and learn things in my life that it would be hard for me if I just read about it or heard about it, but when I see the picture in my mind, it really drives it home. So I'm, I'm really honored to be able to share some of those stories with you. When I was 48 years old, I moved to Alaska from Tennessee. Back then, I thought 48 was old. Now at 71, I chuckle at that because it's not that old. Shortly after I moved to Alaska, I got one of those inspirations that I've come to know as God speaking to my heart, what I was just sharing with you. What came to me was this, and I felt it was from the Creator. I'm going to teach you about being an elder and you will learn from the eagles and the salmon. So I set about to observe everything that I could about the eagles, and that was really not hard in Alaska. Um, our cabin was on a bluff attached to the Cook Inlet coming off the Pacific Ocean, and we would have several eagles fly by our home every day. And we would sit out there and watch them, and I watched the eagles teach their babies, and they'd fly, and the, the babies would be behind them, and they'd put their feet down, and the babies would put their feet down, and and then they would take them back to the nest. And, and that was so amazing to me to watch that. If you've never been to Alaska, it should be on your bucket list. I say to everyone that God poured out his majesty on Alaska. I could sit out on my deck and watch them teach these eaglets how to fly, and it was quite the sight. And I did learn from them the value of teaching the next generation of eagles, which would be my, especially my grandchildren. I learned the benefit of that. But for the life of me, I could not figure out the lesson from the salmon. We fished for them down in the Anchor River, Anchor Point River, but I had no great revelation. Nothing was coming my way. So I figured I'm just going to have to do some research on the salmon on the good old internet <laughs> and see what hidden message there was for me there. I, I, I always know when uh, the creator's wanting to give me a truth because I can't wait to research. I can't wait to hear what the, the lesson's going to be. And I love the way that the creator of everything, the father, speaks to his children. You know, sometimes he'll ask me questions and then I'll have the answer or he'll guide me with a picture. And, and it's kind of like going on a scavenger hunt. So I'm like, okay, there's this message for me from the salmon. And, and it becomes exciting to me to kind of what's, what's going to, what am I going to learn? So I was really looking forward to it and, and thinking, oh, this is going to be amazing. When I read about the life of the salmon, one section really stood out to me. You might say that the Creator shined a light on it to make sure that I didn't miss the lesson and the foretelling of what was ahead for me in my elder years. The article said that when the salmon are old 
and their lives are waning, on their last run up the river, as their bodies are decomposing, that the younger salmon and next generation of salmon feed off of their decomposing bodies. This was not something I was really wanting to hear. I'm like, wow. I for sure could not miss the message here, but it was not very appealing. I could never get that out of my mind as the years clicked by, and I landed into my 60s, and I began to live out exactly what the Creator had spoken to me through the lesson of the eagles and the salmon. When I arrived at the threshold of my eldership, I was shocked. First thing is, is that I arrived there, and it came so quickly And it really, honestly, for me, too fast. And I wished I'd prepared better. So for all of you out there who are not in your elder years yet, you are in the time of preparing for your eldership. It would be really good to sit with elders. This is what our Native people did and do. They sit with the elders. They honor the elders. They listen to the elders. And they're open to have the elders speak into their lives. And and I would say to you, don't wait to build the ark when it's raining. That's not a good time to start trying to be an elder. Uh, it's really good to prepare. My brain, my brain was telling me I was still a 40-year-old, but I looked into the mirror and was shocked to see an aging woman looking back at me. And in fact, I was like, when did I become my mother? And that's the brain really doesn't age in that way, that we oftentimes think of ourselves as younger than we are. I know, at, you know, I go to my high school reunion and I walk in feeling like I'm 18 and I look around the room and everyone is aged and I'm like, well, all of these people are old. And then I have to look at myself and say, you are old too. <laughs> so I think that's just a natural thing that we do. In the beginning of the process, I was discouraged because our culture values youth. I really did not want to be an elder, to be honest with you. I wanted to stay young, and especially the boomers, and all that we see now about having your, you know, your body altered and remaining young, and I'm not saying anything against anyone who wants to do some improvements on themselves, but we are really in a youth-valued culture that has little honor for the elders. So I really didn't relish becoming an elder, especially as a woman. At one point, when I was getting closer to my eldership, I was in my early 60s. I really felt that I had, I had been prematurely gray, so I'd been dyeing my hair since I was 20, 25 years old. And, and then at one point, I think when I was 34, I let my hair, and it was salt and pepper, and then I dyed it again. And so I decided, you know, it was kind of like, the, the, you know, the Creator was speaking to me about being an elder, so I'm like, well, I really don't need to be doing things that are going to kind of keep me in denial about that. So I decided to go to my uh, person that does my hair, and I said, I want you to strip all this color off my hair. I want my natural hair. And he goes, oh, you just, you don't want to do that. You will look 10 to 20 years older. And I was like, well, that's okay. And he's like, you have to promise me, if I strip the color off your hair, you've got to promise me you'll wear it short and spunky. So I told him, okay, I'll wear it short and spunky. And I do wear it short and spunky. When he stripped the color off my hair, my hair was white. 
silvery white. I thought I was going to be salt and pepper. It was quite a shock. Now, I have to tell you, I do enjoy my hair is the color of my grandfather's, and his was this beautiful white silver. So I am grateful. I, I do have this beautiful white silver hair, but it was a shock. It was a shock, and, and I did look older. And not only did I look older, but I walked out of the shop, and people treated me older. One young gentleman in a meeting I was doing thought that I was born in the early 1900s. He was in his 20s, and he said, well, you were around during that time, and I said, actually not. I was born in 1952. So for the younger generation, it was like everybody with white hair was like Methuselah. You know, we were around, we were anciently in the Bible, you know, we we were old, old. And so when I walked in, treated one way, and I walked out, it was so it was so evident to me. And let me tell you, I want to tell you that I was tempted to go back and have it redone. I was very tempted because I knew it was going to make my life harder. I was going to have less people take me serious. I was going to have people possibly take advantage of me. For example, when I first moved to California, I had a sheriff's. There were a lot of people, a lot of things in the one area of the city that we lived in. And it's that way in, in all, all cities. But... Um, in one of these cities, they were waiting, people, uh, thieves were waiting outside of the grocery stores. And when the elders would walk out, they would follow them home in the car and rob them in their driveway. So I had a sheriff uh, say to me, because I was taking a training at one point on how to make sure you can defend yourself and be prepared. Because as I was getting older, I was becoming more vulnerable, and I felt that. And the sheriff's department, this lady from the sheriff's department, she said, I just want you to know that you're a real target. You have white hair, you are a woman, you have a disability tag on your car, and you're of small stature. So she said, you are a a real target. And I was like, wow. You know, so... I want to say that changing, going to my natural hair and, and going into my eldership it shows you the vulnerability. Now, I want you to. I want to also tell you that when men have have gray hair and white hair, they are seen as wise. So, as men age, they are seen as wise. Women are seen as old, just plain old. That probably has some to do with the misogyny and the devaluing of women. But it's not easy. It's not easy to age, especially in society where. A lot of pressure is put on your looks. And when you start seeing the wrinkles and you start seeing the changes in your body, and it's that way for men too because they're seen as strong, capable, and they can't do what they used to do. It is not an easy adjustment. And it does come very quickly. It's like you just cross a threshold. And and if if you're not prepared and you're not really walking in a spiritual way, and understanding that it is the most, what I would call, fruit, fruitful time of your life, spiritually, then it can be somewhat depressing. And, you know, I live in a 55 plus. My husband and I moved there. And I, and I do enjoy, I enjoy seeing all the people. It does remind me sometimes kind of of high school. And it would be tempting for me, and I'm not judging the people that do that. I think it's great when you work and you retire and you have an opportunity as a couple to do things together and they have dancing and 
classes, and I think that's very important for elders. It's very important for us. At the same time, I think we still do need to be connected to the the other generations. Um, when I'm here and all I see are elders, it, it's good. I love the other elders, but we need each other. The generations need each other. We need the passion of the younger generation, and they need our wisdom. And there's something that happens when we come together. Even when my husband and I are at the pool and, and we bring our granddaughter or the grandparents Life is stirred when the younger people come into it. I was just talking to a person recently, and they're doing a search on their, uh, you know, uh, a church search for their next minister. And the church is going so far, and they're trying to figure out how do we get it to grow? You know, we might be losing some numbers. How do we go into the next generation? And so they were interviewing the next doing a pastor interview, you know, and they had two, and one was in his 30s and one was in his 40s. And the, the, our age people, and, and I put myself in there, was like, that is so young. I, I just don't know. I, I, I don't know if they should be leading it. Well, if we're talking about bringing in the next generation of families, and that's what grows a church or an organization, it's not just the elders sitting around. <laughs> It's about the passion of the next generation. And when I, I looked over at my friend and I said, well, don't he, and he was fine with it, but some of the leaders were like, I'm so young. And I, I said, you were pastoring the church we went to in your 30s and every single pastor we had was 30 years old and it was booming and it was growing. Why is it as boomers now, we don't think the 30 and 40, year, 40 years old are able to lead? They are. And at the same time, they need us there as a point of wisdom. As I began to read books on aging versus saging, and I, that was when I got the word saging, I thought, I, when I read the book, it said, you can just be old or you can be a sage. And I'm like, well, I don't want to just be old. I want to be a sage. So I made a decision. I want to be a sage. And I studied that and I studied eldering. And I learned that my elder years could be the most fruitful time of my life. The scriptures say that when the flesh is weak, the spirit is strong. That meant that my body aging would be like a fast, where my flesh would be buffeted, and I would have to rely on the Lord for my strength. Now, I'd already learned some of that at being ill for 35 years, but it's different, too, when you become an elder. It would not be easy. It would not be comfortable. But it could be fulfilling and even enjoyable if I would lean into the process and not fight it. And also, it would cause longevity probably in my life because it would keep me vital, involved, and aware I would need to be intentional, though, about my time, my energy, and focus in order to finish well before I cross the veil. Finite time was just that, finite, and I had none to waste. I would not be able to flow through life or even go with the flow. It's one of the things about going with the flow. It sounds really good, and, and it is a part of that, going with the flow. But if the flow is a, a society that you don't really want to be a part of or it's it's 
your friends going out and doing addictively, those kind of things are the flow. You really have to be purposeful on what flow that you're talking about and not let life just kind of like the current of life just sweep you in. And before you know it, you're just going down this river that you might not have even chosen to go down. I would need to live my life with purpose, remembering that my days are numbered, as it says in the scriptures. It says to number your days, to apply yourself to wisdom. I would need to take an inventory of my life and my values. One of the first things I did was, and, and I put all these things on there, and I probably won't be able to do all of them, but I did what I would like to do. 50 things I would like to do before I, before I cross the veil. I got to do one this year only because it was on my list. It was where I could see it. It was a goal that I wrote that I would like to accomplish. It was to go with my two sons on a mother-son trip to West Virginia where I had grown, been born and lived the first eight years of my life that my children had never seen, never been a part of that part of my life. And I said, on my 70th birthday, I really would like to do that. And we made it happen. And they're very busy. I prayed about it. The Creator opened the gate for us. That is a memory my children will always have. And I got to be with them in our original form as a family. And it was wonderful. I brought, I brought presents to their wives and their, and their daughter because they were giving up their time for me to have that time with my sons because I'm not primary in, the, in their life anymore. Their wives are. Their child is. But that was something that happened only because I wrote it down. Sometimes we don't even know what we really want. We can get in these, these states where we're like so much stress around us and so much going on, we don't even ask ourselves, what do you want? And sometimes the creator will say, what do you want? And he wants us to have, he's given us this life as a gift. He wants us to have healthy choices and to be able to co-lead um, this thing we call life with him. I would not be able to float through life or even go with the flow. I would need to live my life with purpose, remembering that my days are numbered. Remember that. I'm saying that again to you. I would need to take an inventory of my life and my values. What are my values? And I also would need to develop some attainable goals, which is what I'm just talking about, and begin to work toward them so I could finish my life well. This is not easy for me. I have an illness I've had. I just had anaphylaxis on the airplane. I just flew to Nashville to do a thing for my uh, moral for my brother and I did ministry meetings and on the way back <clears throat> I had an anaphylactic episode up in the air and had to take medications and they had to call someone on the plane to be with me I ended up in the ER before I could get back on the plane it would be very easy for me just to give in to this if I had done that when I was 35 years old, and I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I have to hear from the creator what to do and what not to do. There's times I have to change my plans, but I made a decision. I was going to live my life. I wasn't just going to, to try to get through it. And I also was not going to be able to be into self-preservation. I was told by the medical community, it's stress, it's stress sensitive. You got to keep stress out of your life. I laugh at that and chuckle because I was like, which child do you want me to get rid of first? Which, you know, it's like you cannot have a stress-free life. And at one point I ended up living with my grandchildren and, and I told, you know, people said, how are you going to do that with the stress of little children? I said, if I die, I'm going to die with the next generation crawling all over me. 
there's something about making those decisions. And the Lord had given me a vision at one point when I was trying to preserve my life. I was reading everything I could on health and people were giving me supplements and I was like going to be the poster child for marketing level marketing. If they could just get me healed and everyone buy the product. And I was trying everything. I was trying medical. I was trying non-medical. I was trying because I was just miserable. I I was suffering. And, and I, what I'd been taught in my paradigm of faith up to that point was that I wouldn't have to. So it was a real crisis of belief for me. At one point, the creator said, I want you to take all your self-care books and your health books, your natural books, and put them in the trunk of your car. Okay, you know, I'll just be obedient. I put them in the trunk of my car. At one point, you know, I I needed to, to look something up. And it was raining, pouring the rain. And I was out by my trunk of the car in the pouring down rain. and, And the Lord asked me the question, what are you doing out here? Well, I'm looking up this. And he goes, but you didn't come to me. He had me put those in the car so I'd have to walk and stand in the rain. I'm like, it was insanity. Not that those things are bad, but I was not, I was trying to figure it out, get the silver bullet. And then he showed me a picture of these bananas that were in a bowl and they were dark, like what you'd make banana bread out of. And there were these little fruit fly gnats around them. And he said, what do you see? I said, I see a bunch of rotten bananas. He said, and that will be you. If you want to lay here and try to preserve your life, you'll just get dark and you'll draw gnats. Would you rather go out with a bang and have someone eat you and give sustenance to someone else? Or would you rather just lay here and try to preserve your life? You try to keep your life, you can't keep your life. Now, that doesn't mean not to use, you know, wisdom. But I'm telling you and sharing some stories that I learned that, 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 that happened to me. So eldership was not something I wasn't looking forward to my body decaying more or being more vulnerable. At one point when I was called to Israel, I said, I can't even walk barely. I, how am I going to do travel? And he said to me, your illness is not your disability, your strengths are. He wanted me to lean on him. And, and there's the scripture that talks about, you know, who, who do I see coming up from the desert in Song of Solomon? She's leaning on her lover. We're supposed to, when we hit those places, lean on our lover. I know it's hard because we're all very self-sufficient and we live in a society that's pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But that doesn't always work in kingdom thinking. I began to study how to be an elder, what that meant, and what would be required of me. I began to see myself as an elder. That's the first thing. I began to see myself as an elder, and I realized I had a responsibility to the next generations coming after me. Not for, but to them. Immediately, I began to see myself differently and required more of myself as a leader and a mentor. And in the word integrity, got thrown into my mind and I don't do it perfectly. It is on my goal list, my value list. I want to be a person of integrity. As I stepped into the role, it became who I am. And as my body is decomposing, 
The generations following after me are feeding off my decomposing body, being my time, my energy, my wisdom, my commitment to them, and I have to be intentional. This is truer than I can say due to the illness I've had for 35 years, now coupled with my age. There are times, many times, this morning, as for one, I couldn't find my phone. I'm supposed to be at my granddaughter's birthday party coming up. I needed to do this podcast. I wanted to go back to bed. And I said that. I said, I just want to sit down. I want to lay down. I can't do this. It's okay to flesh that out with the Lord and get it out of your body. And then I had to come back to, I need to go in and sit down and do this podcast. I'm leaving the, my stories for the next generation of my children and grandchildren. This is important. The enemy of my soul will tell me it's no big deal. The creator tells me that my words will be eternal after I'm gone. There are times it would be so easy just to pull up my easy chair and rock my way into oblivion. In fact, when you become an elder, you are in your winter. Well, what do you want to do in the winter? You want to get in front of a fireplace, put a blankie around you, and calm down. And there's nothing wrong with having those times. We are in the winter of our life. We do have to be gentle with ourselves as an elder. But I can't just go into oblivion because of the next generation. My children, and especially my grandchildren, have placed a demand on my future. They need my wisdom, and I need their passion, and they have wisdom too. They know things I don't know. This old salmon ain't done swimming yet. Now let me get, tell you a little thing that's funny. As an elder, at our generation, we can feel really dumb when it comes to when it comes to we can feel really dumb when it comes to the next generation. My brain just see that's what happened to elders. My brain just went bloop for just a minute. Elders. In our generation, we've been thrown into this technological age, and it's very difficult for us because the generations after us actually got to learn these things in school or when their brains were younger. It's very difficult to learn a new language or new skill as you age. You can do it. It takes more intentionality. We can't just say we're old and can't do it. We have to be intentionally try to do these things. It makes me and I think other people my age, we feel at times pretty stupid at times because the next generations just jump right in. But I was recently with my granddaughter and my great-granddaughter and some of my grandchildren and my son, my daughter-in-law was there. and We were actually talking and um, my, my granddaughter is 15. And so my other granddaughter, my great-granddaughter's 15, my granddaughter was asking her questions and she said, um, what does what does offline mean? And she thought it was a fishing thing. She said, well, it must be something like when you go fishing and you have a fish on your line. We died laughing. What is a floppy disk? She goes, well, a disk that flops around. I mean, everything we ask from our, what's dial-up? Uh, I, I don't know what dial-up would be. And all of a sudden we were like, we're not dumb. They just happen to know things. They wouldn't know what to possibly do. But that's the point we bring as an elder to this generation. There are things we know that they don't know. They can't know. 
They were born after the fact, and we learned things, and that's the beauty of us coming together, and it can be funny. Instead of us as elders feeling stupid and dumb, we can laugh at ourselves. We sat and laughed with her because she didn't know those things. We thought they were funny. We need to be able to do that with ourselves and take this stuff less seriously and stop thinking of our being dumb and old. We're not dumb and old. We have a lot to bring, and we remember things. We have history. My granddaughter said to me the other day when I met with her, one of the things that my one granddaughter said, she said, you've taught me how to be a granddaughter because you're so intentional about us getting together, be, be a grandmother. That really blessed me. Because as elders, sometimes we can think we're not bringing anything because we're just bringing ourselves into life. But I had another granddaughter say, you know, Nana, I realized the other day that you can't have a 20-year friendship when you've, when, when, for, after five years. <laughs> it's like I have friendships 40 years old. I get with these people, and we have a 40-year history. You can't have a 40-year history with a new friend. Those things are precious, and that's what we bring. And when I come with my grandchildren and my children as a storyteller, I tell them all the stories about their childhood, things they can't remember, even some of their traumas. I'm able to say, you had this as a child, and that's why you're struggling now. And it gives them insight that they might not have. If we want to live fully each moment that we've been given— we must act with purposeful intention. Without this, we will have difficulty meeting our goals and we'll abandon them at the first challenge that comes our way. What is intentionality? It means we move forward with action on a plan or a goal. It doesn't mean I'm going to think about it. It means I'm going to do it. In order to act with intention, first we must set the goal. We need to decide where we want to end up too. We've got to see that. That's the goal. Then we need to develop a plan. Good intentions mean little. They're just that, intention. That's what the old saying means, actions speak louder than words. The best way to make sure that we stay the course is to build accountability around us with people who will remind us, keep moving forward and not give up. I had a group of women that I texted immediately from the plane. I'm in trouble. Pray. And they were praying, but they were also saying, we know the goal. We know that you want to finish well. We know you want your life to have integrity. Keep going. We're behind you. We're praying you. You're going to be successful. Once that, we need to be resolute to not give up and not give in. Quitting can never be an option. Surrender, that's different. And the Lord calls you to surrender. Quitting, no. When we are intentional, we get clarity about what we plan to achieve, and then we set an intention to fulfill that plan. This can't stop with setting the intention only. Otherwise, it will be just like potential. Potential is just potential, and we cannot afford to be addicted to potential. I once had a friend who would make commitments and then not follow through. After many broken commitments from her, I brought it to her attention that she had committed to things with me and then would not show up. I confessed to her that I would rather her not make promises that she could not keep. Her response was as that she had intended to do all those things that she committed to, and thus her intentions were enough. 
I had to explain to her that her intentions were not enough and that they don't count for much if we don't follow through. I've had to remind myself of this as well. In my younger years, I dropped the ball many times. I still can do that. And when that happens, we have to make amends. We need to. We don't have to. We need to make amends. We also need to make a living amends. I can't go back in time and change some of those, but I can be purposeful and intentional that I'm not going to live that way anymore and that I'm going to try to change those character defects and behaviors. Being intentional means that I have a clear goal in mind and that I'm aiming for that goal like an arrow. Unless I release the arrow from the bow, it will not be propelled forward to hit the mark. There will always be effort required in my life to live intentionally. If we live life in a passive way on autopilot, which is what society wants us to do now with our social media, with our entertainment and television, I like a good movie. I like some reality shows where I see people because I love human behavior, but I can't just zone out. When I do that, I'm on autopilot. It does happen sometimes. It's autopilot. We will wake up one day and realize that many opportunities we were given have passed us by because opportunities pass. A great place to start to begin to live intentionally is to begin to define our values in life so we will know what we're aiming for. Our values are the bedrock of our goals. Having clearly defined values will help us make good choices and decisions in our lives. For example, as an elder, I always remember when making my decisions that people are coming after me and I want to think of them, not just myself. I also want to think of the people that, that we have ordained. I want to think of the people that have been set in our meetings. I want to think of the people who support our ministry. I want to have all that in mind. That's what in our people and our native culture, that's what a chief and an elder That's how they live their lives. I want to think of others, not just myself. I often will remember that Rosa Parks sat down on a bus in her generation so I could stand up as a woman in mine. And Rosa Parks was African-American. She was a woman. She was also First Nations. Remembering that I'm an elder helps me to think of the long-term effects of my decisions and make the best decisions for the people that relate to me as an elder. As I've become more intentional and settled into the role of an elder, it has improved the way I view myself. I see myself as a responsible leader, and so I expect more of myself than I used to. As I require more of myself responsibly, I grow into that person. The greatest gifts to me since I began to live more intentionally has been the meaning that I have found in my life as a result. I now love being an elder, and it brings me great satisfaction and joy. In fact, eldering is not just something I do. It now is who I am. I am an elder. Living intentionally does not have to be other-focused. It can also be creating more time for myself, discovering a passion that I love, spending time learning something, or finding out who I am at my core. It isn't a chore or a have to. It's a get to. We get to participate with the creator 
and this beautiful gift called life. And understand this, if you are an elder, it's a privilege. Other people didn't live to this day. I make myself at times, I want to complain and do complain about my body. Oh, my back. Oh, this. Oh, that. And I have to realize, do you know, not everyone gets to be an elder? My granddaughter passed it too. I have friends that passed in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I'm now in my 70s, 35 years with an illness. I almost died on the plane the other day, and I'm still here. I still am here. That is a privilege, and it is an honor, and I have to remember that all the time and not fall into complaining about the challenges. God has given us life, and he has given us choice. We are blessed to be able to take that gift of our choice and be intentional about our choices and how we live our days. I invite you today to join me to begin to live our lives this day. Every day we have that choice with purpose, not wasting a single minute of our precious time here this side of eternity. If you would like to learn more about the information we provide from our ministry, um, you can go to indigenousmessengers.com. You can find out about who, who I am as a person, see pictures of my family, the people that are important to me, especially my grandchildren, that I dedicate this to every time. I dedicate this podcast to my children and my grandchildren who are my greatest teachers and the greatest loves of my life. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenik Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.